0: Uh, A young police officer apparently was taking his final exam at the Hendon Police College in North London when he came to this question. The question read as such. You're on patrol in London when an explosion occurs in a gas main in a nearby street. On investigation, you find that a large hole has been blown in the footpath and there's an overturned van lying nearby. Inside the van, there is a strong smell of alcohol. Both occupants, a man and a woman, are injured. You recognise the woman as the wife of of your chief inspector, who's at present away on a conference in the USA. A passing motorist stops to offer you assistance, and you realise that he's a man who is wanted for a series of violent armed robberies. Just at that moment, a man runs from a nearby house shouting that his wife is expecting a baby, and that the shock of the explosion has made the birth imminent. Another man is crying for help, having been thrown into an adjacent canal by the explosion, and he cannot swim. Bearing in mind the provisions of the Mental Health Act, describe in a few words what actions you would take. After thinking, the officer picked up his pen and wrote the following words, Take off uniform and mingle with crowds. You know, in a world gone mad, it's tempting to want to take off our uniform and mingle with the crowd. And I'm sure that's exactly how Elijah must have felt in the middle of King Ahab's reign. The worship of God had gradually been replaced by Baal worship. That involved child sacrifices, sexual promiscuity, and the murder of anyone who worshipped God. Yet Elijah was a man for the hour. He was prepared to stand up and be counted. He was prepared to confront the prevailing culture. You know, we too live in a society which ignores God and is is systematically dismantling our Christian heritage. Like in Elijah's day, things that once would have caused outrage, and now an acceptable part of our everyday lives. And I believe we, like Elijah, need in these days to stand up for God and stand up for what is right. And so I believe there are a number of lessons that we can learn from this incident that we read about in 1 Kings chapter 18. And the first thing I believe that we can see is this, that we live in a controlling culture it says this in 1 Kings chapter 18 the first two verses after a long time in the third year the word of the Lord came to Elijah go and present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the land so Elijah went to present himself to Ahab you know we live in a controlling culture you know, even in cars these days, you can have you have climate controls in your cars, don't you? And uh, apparently, it's not in my car, but in some cars you can have climate controls for two, the two front seats, for the driver's seat, and for the front passenger seat. You can have, and uh, and the driver can have the temperature right down to almost arctic conditions, and the dr- uh, the passenger can have. Uh, their, their, their climate control to almost Bahamian temperatures. You know, we love to be in control, don't we? We have remote controls for our televisions because we want to be in control of uh, of what's uh, happening. We want to be able to flick through the channels. I am apparently, uh, allegedly, really irritating with the remote control and I flick through the channels when other people are watching something because I want to see teletext or the football score or something. You know, society is increasingly driven by the need to control, whether it's uh, information, whether it's access, uh, or the economy. At the heart of this is a desire to be in control of our own lives. If you haven't found this out yet, you soon will. Some things are outside your control. We read, after a long time, in the third year, God spoke and told Elijah to go to Ahab and rain would come. You know, King Ahab would have done everything he could have done to have resolved the drought problem. It was really ironic Baal was the rain god. Clearly, Ahab nor the people's worship didn't influence Baal at all to act on behalf of his devotees. Behind these few verses, we see clearly that Ahab, the people, the prophets of Baal, nor Elijah were in control. We see God. Was in control. God wasn't going to send rain until He was good and ready. No one was pulling God's strings. He still does things in His own time. He isn't driven by our agendas. One reason that we kick against the idea of a God in heaven is because we want to believe that we're in control of our own lives and destinies. Actually, God is in control. Hallelujah. The Bible reminds us that God is on the throne. Right through the Psalms we read of God being on the throne. In Revelation chapter 4, we see a picture of a throne room in heaven. And on that, uh, in that throne room there's a throne, but the throne isn't empty. There is someone sitting on it. There is God in heaven sitting on his throne. God is in control of the whole of creation as well as the affairs of men. Proverbs chapter 19 verse 21 puts it like this. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. It's God's purpose that prevails. You know, whenever uh, we uh, we have a barbecue in the summer... Uh, I'm in charge of the barbecue. And afterwards, if we have people round, people say, Oh, Steve, thanks for the barbecue. Really appreciate you. You do not spend all that time cooking. What they don't appreciate is that the planning of it, the organization of it, uh, is down to Annette. She's the one that invites people. She's the one that tells me what to do. She's the one that goes out and uh, buys Uh, The vegetables, spice the salad. She's the one that buys the meat. She's the one that prepares the salad. She's the one that takes the meat out of the freezer in plenty of time for it to defrost. She's the one that puts it in the microwave so it's cooked properly in the middle. And uh, all I do is stand at the barbecue with a bottle of beer and uh, burn the food on the outside. And yet I'm the one that gets the pat on the back. And just like that, that's like that. Sometimes, sometimes people, we just forget God is in control. You see, the challenge is to trust God, to do what's right, particularly in a world full of suffering, especially when we see disasters like we've seen in these last weeks in, in Haiti. We need to be people who submit our lives to God's rule. See, over the three years of the drought. People would have, would have been suffering and dying. And yet Elijah never wavered in his trust that God was in charge and working out his purposes, even when it didn't feel like it. I'm not going to give you, uh, give you an, uh, an apologetic discourse on suffering, but Peter tells us God's patience means salvation. God is being very patient with us in this world. In all that's happening, God could come and sort it out in a moment. But God is being patient because he wants people to come to know him. That's what it says. God's patience means salvation. Peace and patience should characterize us as the people of God. Are you like that? Are you, or are you someone who needs to be in control? If so, don't be surprised if God uses your circumstances to teach you that that's not the case. Never forget, God is in control. The second thing we see is like like Elijah, we live in a blame culture. In verses 16 to 18, it says this, Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's command and followed the Baals. We live in a blame culture. When I was growing up in Swansea, two doors up from us were another family from the church. It was the church secretary and his family used to play with their son. And uh, the wife had a name for me. And her name for me was Trouble. It's true. It's really true. I don't know why. Um, but Ale- uh, she used to uh, say, every time she saw me, every time I'd, uh, she'd see me walking in church or up the road, she'd say, look out, here comes Trouble. That is what Ahab was doing with Elijah. Look out, here comes Trouble. Is that you, you troubler of Israel? The drought and subsequent famine had been severe. It really was bad news. And you know, likewise, our country is in a serious mess. The precarious economic situations become obvious, hasn't it, in recent months. And yet in the midst of social and economic chaos, many see the church as being part of the problem. As far as the world we live in is concerned, many think that we're just not politically correct. We discriminate on the basis of sexual orientation and that we're dangerous extremists. The result is a very negative perception of the church. Rather than being conciliatory though, Ahab tells King Ahab, actually Ahab, you're the problem, you're the cause of the problem. And you know, there's a, I believe God is calling us to be people who stand up in these days and speak the truth in love. You see, the truth is that people have chosen to live lives without reference to God. And so they've replaced, it, replaced the worship of the one true God with what the Bible calls false gods and idols. Bizarrely, Ahab has seen God shut up the heavens as a result of Elijah praying. And instead of driving him to seek God's forgiveness and leading his people to do the same, he's dug his heels in and he's more interested in grass for horses. This verse won't come up, but in 1 Kings 18 verse 5 it says this. This is what Ahab says, in the midst of a drought, Go through the land to all the springs and valleys. Maybe we can find some grass to keep the horses and mules alive so we won't have to kill any of our animals. All he was interested in, in the midst of such disaster, was was there grass for the horses? You know, society all around us is collapsing, morally, socially, economically. Bit by bit, we've turned our back on God and His ways. And yet, people like Elijah are still focusing and searching for grass instead of searching for God. What about you? Are you more focused on dealing with symptoms than dealing with root issues? Maybe for you, searching for grass has involved desperately trying to sort out financial circumstances. Sorting out relational, complex relational issues, difficulties in the workplace. Before you go any further, can I suggest that you take time out to seek God. Whatever mess we find ourselves in, God wants us to be people who take responsibility for our actions and our failures. But in taking responsibility for our actions and failures and not blaming anyone else, he wants us to come to him. And he wants you to come to him this morning. Thirdly, like Elijah, we live in a compromise culture. In verse 19, we read this. Elijah says this, Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. The people said nothing. I don't know if you've ever uh, seen a drunk uh, staggering along a road. And as they do it, they tend to do this. They're sort of like this, aren't they? And then they, they sway back the other way, and then they, they sway back this way. Maybe you're wondering why I give such a good example of it. It's, it's not me on a Saturday night. But that's what a drunk is like. They lurch from side to side. And that's the language that the writer is using to describe the people of Israel. They waver between two opinions. You see, Ahab led the people away from God. What started out as syncretism, that's just absorbing bits of other religions, ended up as full-blown Baal worship. Ahab was a compromiser, and he tried to mix the worship of Baal with his wife's religion. And doing so, he really showed he didn't know God at all. And sadly, we easily can fall into the same trap. You know, Baal worship had great appeal. It revolved around getting your needs met. It carried royal sanction. If you wanted to get on, you were well advised to become a Baal worshipper. And just like this, it's very easy for us to view church as being about meeting our needs. Just like Baal worship was for the people in those days. How many leave church on a Sunday morning and say things like this? I got nothing out of this morning's meeting. How many people sit around the dinner table and say things like, well, the worship didn't do it for me today. See, the primary issue shouldn't be what we get out of church. The primary motivation, the primary issue should be, was God pleased? Was God pleased with our worship? That should be our first consideration, not what we got out of it. You see, Elijah's challenge is black and white. If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal is God, follow Him. In essence, what we believe about God must affect the way we live. Do we believe what the Bible says or not? If so... It should affect our lives. We need to stand up for God. You see, we need to call sin, sin. That's what the Bible calls our wrongdoings. The Bible calls it sin. We need to stand up and call sin, sin. The Bible's clear. There's only two kingdoms. The kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. You're either in one or the other. There is No Swiss opt-out option, as there was in the Second World War. You're either in one camp or the other. The Bible tells it straight, sin will be punished. When we die, we will go to heaven or hell. That's the language of the Bible. And the world hates that sort of talk. And as a result, the church tends to uh, uh, back down from issues, tends to water down what we say simply because we don't want to offend people. What about you? Have you done that? Have you started to step back? Are you afraid to confront because of what other people will say? Maybe instead you're being dazzled by the world. You see things which deep down in your heart you really desire. Wealth, pleasure, the freedom to party... God's really not scratching your itch. Maybe you feel the pressure to compromise at school, college or university. Let me tell you, compromise eventually leads to disaster. See, the acid test is this. What are you like when only your family or close friends see you? Is life totally consumed with your children, hobbies or your job? Do you regularly have one glass of wine too many? Do you leave TV programs on which you know you should switch off? A week or so ago, there was something on television. The kids were watching something. And I came in and I was watching it with them. It was a comedy program. And something came on and uh, I walked out of the kitchen. Because I was a bit embarrassed by it. I suddenly felt really challenged. I'd left them watching the television program. I hadn't switched it off. I hadn't said we shouldn't be watching this. I had to go back to them and say, kids, I'm really sorry. I just want to tell you, I'm so sorry I didn't do that. It is so easy. The pressure to compromise is so great in these days. And God doesn't want us to be a people who compromise. Compromise is a slow, creeping disease, but it's a killer. Elijah's challenge still rings out across the centuries. If the Lord is God, follow him. How often are we like the people? We say nothing. We are too passive. We are too English. Don't respond to God with passivity today Weed out compromise from your life. Fourthly, like Elijah, we live in a very religious culture. Verse 22. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put put, put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. So the, uh, 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 the prophets of Baal take their, uh, uh, their bull, they put it on the altar, they on, on there, ready for their sacrifice. They lay it out and they're ready to go. You know, the world Elijah lived in was a world of clashing religious cultures, the worship of God of Baal. A.W. Tozer once said this, We actually have too many gods. We have too many irons in the fire. We have too much churchly institutionalism. We have too much religion. I guess we just have too much of too much. And the world that Elijah lived in was just like that. The worship of Baal today, though, has been replaced with the worship of self, money, sex, and power. The head may be different, but the root is just the same. In reality, there's little difference. What people worship is what dominates their lives. Elijah steps up to the plate. There's only one way to settle this dispute as to which was the right way. It wasn't going to be resolved around the negotiating table or in an arbitration court. It was going to be be resolved by a good old-fashioned shootout. It was time to confront the situation. Elijah's confidence was astounding. He knew that if God was for him, no one could stand against him. He laid out the challenge. You call on the name of your God. You sacrifice this bull. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And having accepted the challenge, the prophets of Baal, they go about their business. They call on the name of Baal. They shout. They dance. They shout louder. They cut themselves as part of their rituals. They frantically prophesy. And to all of this kerfuffle, to all of this noise, to all of this pleading, to all of this uh, 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 impassioned uh, calling out to Baal, there is no response. There is a resounding silence. Elijah goads them. Go on! shout louder, perhaps he's indisposed, literally, quite literally saying, perhaps he's on the toilet, perhaps he can't get out to hear your cries, cry a bit louder. The writer of the book of Kings sums it up like this, there was no response, no one answered, no one paid attention. The Bible tells us that this should come as no surprise, idols cannot speak or answer. We may not worship pagan gods today, but the things we build our lives on can never help when we're in trouble. Richard Pryor, a wealthy American comedian and actor, was in a terrible car accident and he was talking to uh, an American uh, 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 show host and this host was asking him about... Uh, the incident, and Richard Pryor was reflecting on the fact that uh, uh, wealth uh, didn't really count for a lot. And he said this, that following the accident, he didn't call on the Bank of America once. You know, money will not help you when you're in real trouble. It really won't. Only God can help you. Jesus similarly challenged his listeners with a parable in Matthew chapter 7. He said, what are you building your life on? Are you building it on a rock or are you building it on sand? When the storms come and the waters flow, will your foundation wash away and will your house fall down? Because unless you build your house on something substantive, unless you build your life on a rock that won't move, you're in trouble come the end. Jesus says, build your life on me. I am the rock. In these days, we're to be people who don't compromise. We're to be people who build our life on Jesus, the rock of ages. Finally, like Elijah, we live in a performance-driven culture. It says this in verse 30. Well, Elijah, Elijah calls all the people to him. He repairs the altar. Gets 12 stones, one for each of the tribes. And he builds an altar in the name of God. He digs a trench around it, large enough to hold uh, uh, enough, uh, plenty of water. He ranges the, the wood. He cuts the bull up. He pours uh, 12 jars of water. gets the people to pour 12 jars of water, probably seawater, because Carmel was near the sea, over the offering. And then, at the time of sacrifice, it says this, at the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord! God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Um, Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and you are turning their hearts back again. Then, then the fire of the Lord fell And burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God, the Lord, He is God. Elijah steps up to the plate. Now it's time to come up with the goods. You know, like Elijah, we live in a performance-driven culture. If God doesn't show up, Elijah is in trouble. I remember years ago uh, with exams, coming home uh, with having had uh, my my school report. My dad would look at the school report and this would often be the conversation. My dad would say, oh, you've got uh, 74% in maths. And he would ask this question. He'd say, what did you come in the class? And when he said that, I always felt I hadn't done good enough. Because I never came in the top one or two. I always came 11th, 12th, 13th. I always felt I didn't quite make it. You know, we live in a society like that, don't we? That's driven by performance. It's about how you do. You know, the workplace of people in these days is increasingly become results-driven. Woe betide it if you don't hit your targets in these days. Sadly, it's become like that in the church. If a church is growing, it must be a success, mustn't it? Whether or not it's just a result of people church-hopping or not. Success is all about performance. The prophets of Baal have had their go. They've had a proverbial bad day at the office. And now it's Elijah's turn. He rebuilds the altar. Builds it with. Uh, it's been in ruins. He rebuilds it with 12 stones. He reminds people of their heritage. He reminds the people of God of their heritage. He take, takes 12 stones, one for each of the 12 tribes. The nation's been split in two. He takes 12 stones and puts, it, puts them together. He reminds them of their heritage. You know, in these days, we mustn't be afraid to remind people of our Christian heritage. We mustn't be embarrassed of it. We have a great Christian heritage, which this country is slowly pulling apart and moving away from. We must not be embarrassed about that. He then sacrifices the bull and he pours 12 jars of water over it. He's in no doubt that God would show up. It didn't matter how much water. It could have been 50 barrels of water. He knew God was going to turn up. And at the appointed time, Elijah steps forward and prays. How could he pray with such confidence and assurance? Well, Elijah's secret was this. He knew it wasn't about him. It wasn't about his performance. He knew that his God answered by fire. He knew Baal was nothing more than a worthless idol. But why did Elijah say fire? Why not say water? There would just been a drought for three years. They needed water. God had told Elijah, we read it at the beginning, that if he went to Ahab, he would send water. So why didn't Elijah say, the God who answers by water, he's the God. Worship him. Why didn't he? How strange. Well, somehow a sacrifice was important. Elijah knew God's ways. He knew that the people's rebellion, their sin, their wrongdoing, had to be punished because God was holy. We were singing about God's holiness this morning. God is a holy God. He hates our rebellion. He hates us living independently of him. He made us. And he expects our worship. God required a sacrifice, a substitute, something to, to punish instead of the people. Because their sins need to be punished. And so an animal, in this case a bull, was punished, was taken, was killed. Elijah was obedient. He acted in line with God's words. God would answer him because his sacrifice was was acceptable and God did answer and when the people saw the fire of God fall they cried out the Lord he is God. How is that relevant to us today? What we read is a type and shadow of what God would do many hundreds of years later. The continual sacrifice of animals couldn't deal with We could never deal with God's justifiable anger at mankind's rebellion. We could never do anything that would be sufficient to appease God's holy wrath at our sin. It's not about what we do. God had a better way that would deal with the problem. He would deal with it once and for all time. And it involved sending his son Jesus 2,000 years ago to die in our place. God punished Him that we might be forgiven. Hallelujah. And all that we need to do, all that we need to do is to believe on Jesus and turn to God and live for Him instead of living for ourselves. To receive forgiveness for what we've done wrong. Jesus is our acceptable sacrifice. Is He yours? Is He your acceptable sacrifice? Have you given your life to Jesus? What are you building your life on this morning? Maybe like Jeremy's word about God revealing himself to you through your life. Maybe today's the day you need to give your life to him. You need to turn to him. I tell you, you will find him to be reliable and trustworthy. Don't be like the prophets of Baal who relied on their own efforts and performance to somehow please God. You will never... You will never... Never please the one true God by your own efforts. It's not about how loud you shout or how much noise you make. It's about grace. It's about God's amazing grace. It's very easy even as Christians to slip out of grace and try to earn favour with God by what you do. To think that you've got to perform, to dance, loud, shout loud, dance. To somehow please God. It's not about what you do, it's about what has been done for you by Jesus. You know, following Jesus' death on the cross, the Holy Spirit fell like fire on those who believed in Jesus on the day of Pentecost. Those who watched on that day turned back to God, just as they had them on Mount Carmel. You know, if we, as spirit-filled followers of Jesus, take a stand for God like Elijah did, not necessarily on St. Catherine's Mount, but maybe in the schoolyard, maybe in college, maybe in work, maybe amongst our neighbours, friends, family, at home, maybe amongst people we hardly know, over issues of righteousness, and God's honour and if we cry out to God to help us, we can have confidence that God will hear us from heaven like he heard Elijah. Because our sacrifice is acceptable. Jesus is our perfect sacrifice. He died on the cross. Our lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of our perfect spotless lamb is acceptable before God. Fire has come from heaven and so as you cry out to God to help you, it may not be literal fire, but God will pour out his spirit to answer bold, courageous prayers because our sacrifice is acceptable. You know, that should make us bold and fearless as we confront a world that's turned its back on God. As we conclude this morning then, the challenge is this. Have we taken off our uniform and mingled with the crowd? Have you done that? Is that you today? Maybe you've done it through trying to take control of your own lives and not trusting God. You know that you're a control freak. You have to control everything and you know that you've not been trusting God. Maybe it's through not taking responsibility blaming everybody else. Actually, you need to take responsibility for your own actions and your failings and your dishonouring God. Maybe this morning it's time for you to do that. Maybe it's through compromising, whether in behaviour, relationships, maybe just in your thinking. Maybe it's through building your lives on a foundation other than the worship of God. Maybe it's through trying to please God through your own efforts and not receiving grace. Maybe this morning you need to respond to God for the first time and receive grace from God because what Jesus has done for you on the cross. Let me tell you this. God loves you. And he has sent his son an acceptable sacrifice so that you would know fire from heaven you would know the spirit of the living God dwelling on you.